As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder 1v1. It's the new arm of the Allocation Disorder podcast where we, where we will talk with different personalities from around American soccer. Today, we start off with a big one. U.S. men's national team coach Greg Berhalter. Greg, thanks for joining me and helping me launch this podcast. I appreciate it. You're welcome. It's going to be a great podcast. <laughs> well, let's jump right into it. Um, the Premier League starts tomorrow, Greg, and uh, I know you watch as much soccer as possible, so I thought... We get you started with a prediction. Who wins it? You know, we saw Manchester City, Liverpool going at it the last few years. Uh, I'm guessing that's that's going to be it again. Do you have a winner? No, I agree. I think the usual suspects are going to be right up there. Um, Liverpool and Man City are obviously favorites uh, to contend for the title again. But then I think there's some dark horses. Um, you know, Arsenal, I think, is going to make a step up. Um, they've strengthened their squad. It's going to be really interesting to see what they do. Um, you know, Chelsea is a team that it, it always finds a way to to compete and hang around. Um, and I think Man United will, will be will be much improved this year. So looking forward to another fantastic season, in the Premier League. And, and just, you know, anytime you see those big, big five teams matching up, you know, you're in for a treat with the game. Well, American fans are going to have another treat. When we're watching the Premier League this year, there's more Americans than we've seen in a long while playing in the Premier League. Um, you mentioned Chelsea. I want to start with the name that we all think of when we think about the Americans in the Premier League right now, and that's Christian Pulisic. There's been a lot of change at Chelsea. Raheem Sterling obviously coming in to challenge for playing time. Um, last year was difficult at times for Christian and in, in finding game time. Are you concerned at all? What have discussions been like with Christian ahead of the season? And, and what do you think he needs to do to maybe secure a bit more consistency at Chelsea this season? You know, I think if there's one player in our player pool that um, really understands how to deal with adversity and deal with the competition at a big club, it, it's Christian. And he's been doing that, you know, at a young age at Dortmund, um, being a big club in Germany, moving to Chelsea um, and just clawing his way into playing time and, and results and performance and goals and assists. And he has a great mindset um, about it this year. And so, 
you know, I'm excited to see how he embraces the challenge. Anytime you're at a big club, there's always going to be competition for spots. Anytime you're an attacking player at a big club, there's always going to be competition for spots. But the way that he's um, equipped himself to deal with that, um, he's going to be in a really good spot. And, and I can see him, you know, certainly performing at a high level and certainly making it a big impact at Chelsea this year. I want to stick with Chelsea for a second because yesterday it was announced that Gaga Slonina, the 18-year-old goalkeeper from the Chicago Fire, had completed his transfer to Chelsea for $10 million. Um, We've seen Gaga this year in MLS, an exciting young prospect, uh, a a very young goalkeeper, so we know a lot of growth still to come. Um, But I wonder from your perspective uh, what your hopes are for him when he gets to Chelsea in January and, and, you know, how does this move and how does Gaga's progression influence how you're thinking about the World Cup roster? Because there's a big difference between bringing an 18-year-old goalkeeper and giving a young prospect that experience of being at a tournament versus having a voice in the locker room like Sean Johnson, who's been around a long time and is a veteran presence in a very young team, or, or even Ethan Horvath, who is going to be starting in the championship this year. Yeah, so um, the first part of the question, you know, Gaga is a really level-headed kid for being so young. It's been really nice having conversations with him, working with him in camp. Um, so I think, you know, he, he understands exactly what he's doing. He understands the importance of game time. He understands the importance of, um, you know, just playing to continue to develop. With, with young players um, – in particular, it's hard to it's hard to forecast the future. You don't know, and you know everyone, anyone who says they know exactly what a young player's development path you know is is wrong because it's it's really hard to predict how a young player is going to develop. And goalies even more even more difficult. And and when you see a young player, um, particularly a goalkeeper play, um, position, playing regularly, it's rare. And you know he's done such a good job to get on the field to keep his place on the field. And, and to perform the next level for him is going to be when he goes to Chelsea, what pathway do they have for him to continue to develop? And that's, you know, we've talked about this, Paul, in private conversations, but just how, you know, how important it is for a player to have a pathway where they can go and get on the field week in and week out at a level that's going to challenge them, but not overwhelm them. And then continue to progress um, as they, as they get the level, as they get the speed of the game and as, as they, you know, they, they become accustomed to the level they're at. So that's going to be the most interesting thing for me to see Chelsea's plan for him to continue to develop and get on the field and play games. Yeah, it's an interesting idea that you brought up recently, which is, you know, how soon is too soon for some players to move to Europe? Um, the idea of, you know, being in a league, dominating that league and then taking the next step. And that's kind of counterbalanced by two things. There's the business aspect of it where the club is, you know, if they get the right offer, they're probably not going to pass on it. And then, you know, a couple years ago, I went and visited Bayern Munich when Chris Richards was there in the academy. Alfonso Davies had just moved. And, and speaking to them at Bayern, they felt like the sooner they could get their hands on American players, the faster that they could get them used to the pace of play in Europe. Um, where do you fall when you think about wanting your players to hit ceilings before they move? How do you kind of balance that other side of, of trying to get them challenged at that higher pace of play that maybe allows the adaptation to happen at 20, 21, 22 when they're starting to move into their primes? Yeah, I can, I can probably understand big clubs, um, you know, wanting to get the kids earlier and then, you know, put them in their system and let them develop because it's, it's very hard um, to play at a big club like that. You know, it's very, you know, rare to, to get a guy um, – that can play at Bayern Munich. 
But I think the right progression would be for a guy to be performing really well at his level in, in Major League Soccer, his next step being a club where he's going to play week in and week out at that level. And then, and then perhaps after that, go to Bayern Munich. And yeah, it may cost Bayern Munich more in the long run, but I think that, you know, for the player, it really benefits him to, to be able to continue to progress and play. The worst thing you could see is when their, their progress is stalled. And, and we have a number of guys that are in Europe now and all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're, you know, MLS is being called to take these guys back. Right. And, and that's what you want to avoid a guy going over there lasting a year and then coming back to MLS and basically starting from scratch. Well, if we if we picked one of the ideal paths of kind of hitting your ceiling and moving on, Brendan Aronson might be a good example of that. I just got an email earlier today. Um, a study was done that showed that Brendan Aronson ran, had the fastest speed over the longest distance of any player in the Champions League last year. And he's taking a step up this year with Leeds. Tyler Adams moving to Leeds as well. Um, we've seen Brendan play in, in different positions for you with the national team centrally, out wide. Um, what do you hope to see from him in his progression at Leeds? And, and I would ask the same of, of Tyler Adams. When you're watching Leeds, what are you hoping to see from your two USMNT players? So w- with Brendan, um, you know, it's it's going to be important to to see how he finishes his offensive actions, right, with goals and assists at the Premier League level. You know, it's a very, very difficult level. Um, you know, it will really, I think, increase his chances of being on the field of the World Cup if he can do it at the Premier League. It, it's that's that's the best league in the world. So that's what we're going to be looking at is, you know, is he able to perform offensive actions in the Premier League um, at, a certain high, at a really high level? With, with Tyler, um, you know, for us, it's a, a, a combination of things. I think defensively, continue – for him to continue to work on his ball winning, which he's, you know, he's boarding on elite at he's a very high level ball winning press after loss is, is huge for him as well. He really helps the group, um, you know, maintain possession when he's able to press the ball um, immediately after losing the ball. And then for, and then it's, you know, in buildup, can he get on the ball? Can he be breaking lines, finding attacking players in between the lines or behind the line? You know, that's one thing that, um, you know, we've been on him about is, uh, is you know turning to put face forward, passing forward, taking more risks with the ball um, with his passing. Yeah, I want to pivot away from the Premier League for a second to the Bundesliga, which is also starting, because there's a player that I've talked a lot about and I've written a lot about in the kind of question mark that hovers over the team and the influence that this player can have when healthy, and that's Gio Reyna. Um, we've seen when he steps on the field, like at the Azteca, what he's capable of doing, how he can change games. Um, and obviously he's had injuries that, that made him less available during qualifying than we would have all liked. Um, but because he's such a special player and potent, has so much potential, if he's healthy, he can play centrally for you. He can play on the wing. It creates a whole different type of lineup dilemma. A good dilemma, I would guess, Greg, of choosing between guys like Brendan and Weston, Eunice, Gio, Tim Weah, um, weighing them all up. How do you see Geo fitting into this team and you know if he is healthy in September do you think you have to see him centrally do you want to see him centrally what what do we should we expect from a healthy Gio Reyna in this team since we saw it so rarely uh through qualifying well Gio's a difference maker um we know that we know that he can he can make a difference when he's on the ball with his final pass um with his finishing actions um he's really good at that so that's one thing that we're, you know, we're excited to see, um, you know, how he, how he gets back to form, um, 
back to fitness and then uh, you know applies his game to what Dortmund's doing this year with with their with their new newish coach right not not completely new um so and then in terms of where we play him uh, that that variation the flexibility that guys like him Gio gives us Brendan gives us Malik Tillman give you you know you can put them in a number of different positions and they can they can perform um at a high level and, you know, for that, it, it gives us a variation in both offense and defense because if we want a more defensive formation, we can choose other players. If we want to go more offensive, we can choose, you know, the guys that I mentioned. So it, it's, a, it's a problem, uh, it, but it's a good problem to have when, you, when, you're, when you're forced with, um, you know, those difficult decisions and, and how you want to tilt the team in a more offensive or defensive look. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right. Well, most for most people, summer is a, a vacation time for the players. They had a little time off, and then preseason starts. And for American fans, that means preseason tours. And Greg, you got kind of involved in preseason tours. We saw photos of you with Ancelotti, with Allegri. You saw Real Madrid, Barcelona, Manchester City, Juventus. I wonder what that what's that like for you as a soccer manager to be kind of taking these trips. What are you trying to get out of those trips? Did you have time to? To meet with with those teams, what did you pull out of that experience? You know, I think the most important thing is relationships. Um, you know, the club it, to build relationships with the clubs where our players are at, um, and, and you know, I, I think kind of integrating you know your ideas with their ideas and seeing how they their views on the player, both from a you know from a, a playing standpoint, then the medical teams. You know, our doctors were there, our physios were there, our high performance people were there trying to integrate, um, you know, everything together that, you know, we understand the complete picture of our player, both on a, on a club level and a national team level. Um, and then it's just about learning. You know, I got to sit down with, with, um, with Allegri, with Angelotti, with um, coaching staff from Man City and, um, and uh, coaching staff of Barcelona. And it's just, uh, I think it's a great moment to hear their ideas, hear how they view the game. You know, when you talk about the experience of Angelotti and Allegri, I mean, these are guys that 
you know, been around the game for a long, long time and, and trying to learn from them and, and um, you know, explaining a little bit about the international game and then just hearing from them. Um, but what, what struck me the most is just, you know, the soccer world, how, how generous people are in the soccer world and, and how um, it is a small community and, um, you know, how these, these people are, are working in big clubs, but they still have time for, you know, for conversations and, and to, to sit down and, um, and, you know, and talk one-on-one. Well, I, I, I wonder especially about sitting down with Barcelona and a player like Xavi. You spent the first six years of your career in Holland. I feel like a lot of, I, I interpret that a lot of your soccer style kind of comes out of the Dutch influences. We know the Dutch influences that existed for those Barcelona teams with Xavi. Was it, is it just a thrill maybe to sit with a player like that and talk about, because I feel like there's similar ways that you guys see the game and, and maybe the ideal way the game is played. Yeah, I think this there's you know there's certainly um, a heavy influence on the positional game in in Barcelona, and that's something that you know you're constantly I think battling with a little bit in your own mind of, of okay how is our formation gonna gonna stack up against the opponent's formation how can we take advantage of our, the position of our players to unbalance um, the opponent. And then, you know, how does that apply to the real game? You know, I think, um, you know, you hear, you hear stories speaking to them about how important some positions are when he's talking about Busquets and how important he is and, and what they do and how he's a facilitator to get other players the ball. Talking about, you know, sometimes, you know, when mo- them moving their fullback inside to have a wide winger and, and when, the, when the fullback's wide, the winger comes inside. And, and these are all little details that I think make the game easier to play. Um, and it's just understanding that. And, and to hear him, um, you know, talking about that, it, it is very similar to, to stuff we're doing. Um, you know, he, he does it at an extremely high level um, with, with Barcelona. And it's interesting to see how he gets his players to buy into it. Um, you know, the Allocation Disorder podcast, typically, Greg, we like to dive into the nitty gritty of MLS roster rules, roster building, how to think about putting a team together. We love, you know, we love things like the discovery rule and the allocation order. We're, we're big fans of it. Um, not really. Um, but you were very good at building teams in MLS, at working around the salary cap, at using those different methods. And I wonder what's more challenging or, or, or even what challenge did you relish more? Kind of building a team within the MLS cap where you have a whole global market to find a player that fits your position and what you want out of that position or having this set U.S. men's national team pool and trying to find the right pieces that fit together, not just maybe on the field like you were talking about, depending on how you want to play, but in the locker room and, and how each personality works together. What's what's more difficult? What's more fun? They're just completely different challenges. And, and what I like about both of them is you, you need to be creative. You need to be flexible. Um, and you, you need to apply those two ideas into how you're going about your job. With, with a club, you know, the flexibility is, you know, you, could look, you can look around the whole world. And, and, um, and sometimes, you know, you have to explore um, areas that, that other people may not be looking at. You have to get creative with how you're you're using your cap numbers. You know, I remember when we first paid you know Harrison Affle three hundred grand. People thought we were crazy that we're playing a fullback three hundred grand. You know, it was like unheard of to pay a fullback that much money, and they were he was that important to what we're doing that, to our system. 
um, that we thought it was worth it. And it was just, you know, how we value, um, you know, each profile in, in what we're doing. With the national team, the flexibility comes with, um, you do have a fixed pool. So the playing style has to be flexible. The playing, you know, your formation has to be flexible. You don't know until you're in camp if guys are coming because of injury. You know, this last window, you know, is well documented. We had, you know, five guys pull out on the last day and, and that's just how it goes. And um, so you have to be flexible there and, and willing to adapt and adapt quickly because you have no time. So they're both great challenges. I think they both develop you as a manager. Um, and you know, it's, it's, they're different, but, but, um, but both, but, uh, both have the rewards for sure. Yeah. You mentioned that, that flexibility in roster building, you're going to need it, especially at this world cup. Usually there's a little window between the end of the European season and the start of a world cup when it's in the summer and guys with two week injuries can recuperate. You've got a training yeah. camp this time. You're going to have a week between the last game in Europe, the first game of the world cup against Wales. How difficult does that make what would typically be the preparation for a World Cup and, and kind of knowing what you're going to have to work with? Yeah, I think if you look at, at people, people get freaked out because it's the magnitude of the World Cup, right? But it's, it's everything we've been doing in qualifying windows, right? It's, it's actually we have more time than we've had in qualifying windows. So if you approach it that way and you approach it that, you know, this is just part of what we've been doing for the last two years, um, it's a lot easier to deal with. And we can turn this into an advantage because we've been doing this for the last, um, you know, year and a half. So it is what it is. We're not going to be able to change that. I think that the one hiccup in my mind is going to be some of the MLS-based players who will maybe have been off for a month, a month, you know, five weeks. That could be more problematic. And, you know, not, not having a, a big enough selection of that group that maybe have a full training camp. So trying to get creative around that. How do you train eight players or seven players? Um, you know, that that's going to be the interesting thing that we're that we're working on. Uh, I wonder, Greg, to, um, you know, when you think about um, the forward position, I think we're all wondering, you know, who emerges um, you've got Jesus Ferreira uh, that, that played at the end of qualifying. He adds so much in kind of the soccer side of things where the question has been, can he finish at the highest levels? Um, Daryl DK, Josh Sargent in the championship, Jordan Pifok now playing in the Bundesliga. Um, is this, is this going to be similar to 2010 where you see guys like Herc Gomez and Robbie Finley you know, make it over Brian Ching based on form? Is it is it going to be down to just that or does it come down to, okay, we need someone of a certain skill set so these guys are competing with each other and certain guys of another skill set so these two or three guys are competing against one another? Yeah, I think that situation may be a little bit different um, because we don't have – none of our strikers are established internationals, right? We don't have any – none of them have, um, you know, more than 20 caps. Um, so they're all kind of in the same boat and, and now it's for us to look at, you know, who's, who's in form at the time, um, who fits what we're doing from a game model standpoint, from a, you know, an, an opponent specific standpoint, um, and who fits into the team from a cultural standpoint and just looking at all three of those things, um, and, and then value, uh, evaluating that ideally, you know, we'd have all five of the guys you mentioned, plus Ricardo Pepe, would be scoring, you know, 15 goals from now until in the World Cup. That would be great. Um, you know, I'm not sure that's going to happen, and we just have to keep our eye on it. Uh, we've worked with all – the good thing is all of them have been in camp. We've worked with all of them, 
And now it's just continue to evaluate them. It's, you know, the the idea that we can have a conversation now that's going to determine what happens in November in that position, it, you know, is is crazy. It's not going to happen, right? It's we got to wait and see. And and we're patient enough, and we'll do that. Last couple of questions, Greg. Um, yep. What are you thinking about your own future after the World Cup? We're not that far off from the start of the tournament, which means we're not far off from the end of the tournament. Um, what do you want to do after the World Cup? Uh, end. So do you do you want to stay for 2026? Are you thinking about, um, you know, maybe what comes next? Yeah, I think um, it's a it's a difficult question because you know a lot of my focus right now, all of my focus right now is you know how are we going to be the best possible team in the World Cup, and you know I've always been the type of person that I don't get ahead of myself. I put everything into what I'm doing at the moment. And, you know, what happens, happens. I, I don't get too stressed about um, thinking about the future. It's just not who I am. Um, so, you know, there's the, the side of it of, you know, coaching the, the World Cup um, in, in 2026 is appealing because it is in our country. And, you know, thinking about going back to club soccer is also appealing because I, I love to work every day. I love to be on the field. So, Either way, um, you know, again, the, the focus is really on, you know, how are we going to get the most out of this group for, for 2022 um, and, and how are we going to be really perform at a good level at the World Cup? All right. The last question. I want to have something of a book club come out of allocation disorder uh, 1v1. So I wonder, Greg, if you could recommend one book to somebody, not just what you're reading now or maybe it is, but a book that, you know, you really love to read and and that's your one recommendation to somebody. What's that book? I know you're an avid reader, so you, you probably have a few in the arsenal. I know. You put me on the spot a little <laughs> bit here, man. <laughs> um, there's a book. Uh, yeah, oh, man. Let me think about this. The, I think that there's a book by Dove Seedman. It's called um, How. And it, it, to me, it's a really interesting book on, on, on creating a culture, creating a sustainable co- culture in, um, in business, and you can apply it to sport. It's, I think it, it's based on um, you know, the study of philosophy. So it is, it is a, a deep book, but I think it's, it's definitely um, worth a read for sure. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that, that recommendation. And again, appreciate you helping us kick off Allocation Disorder 1v1 can find us on the new Athletic Soccer Show podcast feed. Thank you so much, Greg. Thanks for having me, Paul.